Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Kate Jeffrey. She's an immunology faculty member at Massachusetts General Hospital in the Department of Medicine. Uh, We're going to talk about um, some of her work. She's also an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. We're going to talk about virology and uh, immunology uh, topics like that. So, Kate, thanks for coming. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so what's your – do you do mostly clinical work now or do you do research? or like What's your – no, so I'm a complete, I'm a basic scientist. We understand okay. sort of fundamentals of immunology and virology, uh, okay. and how, how our immune system essentially tries to defend us against these things, um, and sometimes how viruses might help our immune system as well. Okay. So, um, what do you believe forms the, uh, the basis of our, uh, of our immune system? Is it just our somatic cells, or do you think it's, it's you know, their knowledge of, um, what the target, how to target, do you think that's helped at all by our microbiome? Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, there's an intricate relationship um, between microorganisms that live on us, within us. I mean, humans, we've never existed without these trillions of microorganisms. Um, and they have formed a very intimate relationship with us. And they need us and we need them. Um, and our immune system is essentially shaped um, and educated um, and formed, you know, by the existence of these microorganisms. Um, and, you know, when these microorganisms change, and we know that that occurs in a number of these sort of complex immune disorders, such as, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, um, that, you know, the changes of these microorganisms actually in turn affect our immune system. And uh, in some cases can make it, you know, more inflammatory and, and more damaging. So what are you discovering about the immune system? Maybe that's, that's different from what you first learned when you, uh, when you learned about it. Is it, yeah. <laughs> is it a pretty, you know, they represent it well in, in textbooks. Is their understanding right? Or is it different? Right. So I'd say there's been two big layers since I was, you know, studying textbook immunology sort of, Charles Janeway, textbook immunology of how our immune system recognises foreign things um, and defends us against from those foreign things. And then, you know, how our immune system might end up attacking itself to cause autoimmunity. So the two additional layers, you know, since I've been a scientist is really that, that layer that I just talked about. And that is the sort of influence of these microorganisms that happily exist within healthy individuals, right? Um, and how they shape the immune system. So that's been probably, you know, a huge focus in the last 10, 15 years of immunology research is really what a vast influence these microorganisms have on, um, on our immune system. And the second layer, which is sort of a, a very large interest of mine, is the epigenetic layer. 
Um, and by epigenetics, we mean essentially anything that's outside of our direct DNA sequence that can influence our genes. Um, and we now know that epigenetics um, is a huge influencer on the function of our immune cells. Um, and in fact, it's sort of the, um, the function of our immune system seems to change quite dramatically with age based on changes in epigenetics. Um, and so these sort of environmental influences that change our epigenome or epigenetics, and that in turn really um, affects uh, how well, or how poorly our immune system uh, functions. And so I would say those two layers um, have been the sort of biggest changes uh, in, in the study of immunology in the last um, sort of 15, 15 years or so. Okay. Can you give me uh, an example of, again, how our, our microbial communities influence our immunity? And then, you know, the other example you gave is that uh, as we age, epigenetic changes cause the immune system to change. Can you give me, um, I know there are two understandable examples you have, one of each thing? Yeah, so, I mean, one, I probably can talk about something that's a little bit um, unique in the microbiome field that my lab's been doing, and that is actually looking at the virome. And so um, I bring that up because obviously everyone's obsessed with viruses with um, COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 is probably the most famous virus now that everyone's heard of. Um, but in fact, you know, there are trillions of viruses that exist on planet Earth. Um, and, um, and actually an interesting aspect of that is actually of the trillions of viruses, we only know the identity of about 6,000 of those viruses. Um, so we really have, like, there's just a big black box when it comes to viruses. Um, but what we do know is viruses, um, you know, they need us or need a host cell in order to survive and replicate. Um, and sometimes that can cause damage. Like in the case of SARS-CoV-2, it just really replicates um, in host, in human cells and causes a lot of damage. But sometimes actually um, you or I who are asymptomatic and healthy individuals, we actually exist with a number of viruses within us, just like we exist with a number of bacteria. And so this is sort of a, a really new field, and that is how viruses um, that exist within us shape our immune system. Um, and what we do know is that in inflammatory bowel disease, um, viruses uh, in our gut are actually altered. Um, so there's a real change or a fluctuation in the type of viruses that are prominent in our gut in inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and so what we've been doing is trying to look directly um, how those viruses shape uh, our immune cells and shape our immune development. Um, and what we've found is actually, um, you know, those viruses that are in a healthy gut are super protective. They seem to sort of prevent inflammation. They make immune cells um, kind of more anti-inflammatory or sort of less, um, less damaging. Um, and conversely, if we took viruses from an inflammatory bowel disease uh, intestine, we showed that those viruses actually seem to promote uh, inflammation and actually make immune cells be much more inflammatory. Um, so that's some pretty cool evidence that, you know, viruses can divergently shape our immune system. Um, and it seems to be that the viruses that um, are kind of changing in inflammatory bowel disease are actually making the immune system much more inflammatory. Um, are the same viruses yeah. different things in people with IBD without IBD or are there are different viruses that are yeah, so exactly. So there's probably two, um, and you know, this is a really new field. So the answer is that I, we don't know. What we do know is that there's 
different viruses in a person with inflammatory bowel disease uh, than there are in a healthy gut. So there's the emergence of different viruses. Um, but so there's, there's likely that these different viruses um, that are thriving in an inflamed gut are sort of triggering this inflammatory response from the immune system. But another arm of it is actually this concept of um, what we call symbionts versus pathobionts. And so symbionts are viruses that, you know, they're the ones just like the microbiome that sit, you know, sit in our gut in an asymptomatic healthy person and actually are beneficial. But actually, um, as is the case with bacteria, sometimes the same bacteria that's normally helpful can become damaging um, in an inflamed environment. So we might we think that that might be occurring with viruses also. Um, so it, all of a sudden, you know, the same um, pathogen does uh, something different and it's just coming from a different environment. So it's probably a combination of the two different viruses in an IBD gut, but also the same viruses can also start working against you. Or are these uh, human cell viruses or are these uh, phages that affect the bacteria in the gut? Great question. So it is a combination of two. So phages, you know, vastly outnumber the human viruses, the viruses that infect human cells. But in the gut, we see a combination of both, right? Because you've got um, many, many bacteria. And so probably 10 times the bacteria of phages, right? So there's probably 10 times more bacteria, a bacteria phage. And then, but there's also what we call eukaryotic viruses, of viruses that it just infect directly uh, human cells. And a really cool kind of avenue of research at the moment is this idea about bacteriophages actually directly stimulating immune cells. So it seems that there might be this trans-kingdom um, kind of in communication of viruses that are within a bacteria in the gut actually can have a direct communication to the human cells uh, that are um, in its proximity. Um, and again, that's super new research, but that's kind of cool. So the answer is both yeah, eukaryotic and um, prokaryotic or bacteriophages are influencing the human immune system. Well, it sounds like in diseases like IBD, I mean, you have to, I guess you have to take into account that the microbiome is different and it, with it comes its own, uh, I guess I'll call it the phageome. Yeah. You know, the phage is associated with the bacteria. Okay. And then your own virome may precede that or may go along with that. And that'll change itself. And uh, Yeah, so these, there's a huge, it's an ecosystem, right? So between the, it's not just bacteria and viruses, but there's also fungi in the gut. And it's a, it's a whole ecosystem. So there is no doubt that they're all dependent on one another. So if one fluctuates, the other would fluctuate, except um, but we do know that they all have autonomous roles as well, uh, autonomous kind of um, ability to stimulate the immune system. So there's a, some recent papers that have come out about gut fungi um, that can directly uh, sort of stimulate the immune system in the gut. We have some data looking at the viruses in the gut. Um, and then, of course, there's been 20 years of research looking at bacteria in the gut. Um, but, yeah, they can't, they, they exist um, together. So they all are intimately linked. So how do you, um, I mean, you're one of the first or the only that I've heard that even takes into account all these factors. Um, how yeah, do you study, true, yeah. do you study the, the metabolites of the system? Do you yeah, so, have to get a grasp of what's going on? Yeah, so I, I don't, I mean, we ha we, I don't personally look at the metabolites. Um, I mean, you know, science is a, um, you know, you have to have a reductionist approach, right? Like you have to look at one factor at a time. Otherwise, experiments become very difficult to interpret. So, you know, if our question is how do viruses in the gut 
educate the immune system, then we need to look at viruses on their own and their ability to, um, you know, affect immune cells. But of course, the reality is that those viruses don't exist alone. So you have to be very conscious of um, how that really happens in a human gut. And, and that's, of course, why we do sort of what we call in vivo experiments and, and putting things in a whole animal to sort of see if our work in, in, in our reductionist approach in vitro sort of uh, is uh, complemented by in vivo work. Um, but I think you have to be aware of the, even if your experiments are just a reductionist approach and just looking at one factor, I think it's even very important for interpretation of this is that we, we have to be aware that these microorganisms all exist um, you know, together in the gut. And again, our immune system is never truly naive. It's never been naive because we are born with these bacteria and viruses. Um, and so the immune system is, is shaped enormously by these. Um, so yeah, uh, in my head, I try to encapsulate all these angles, but experimentally, I mean, you obviously have to test things one at a time. So how do you, um, I, mean, I guess one way is to see what's there with IBD and what's there not with IBD, right? That's yeah. one way to see so, I mean, the best, you know, I'm a basic scientist, but I'm based at a teaching hospital, right? So Harvard, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital is a teaching hospital of Harvard Medical School. Um, and so I'm surrounded by clinicians all day. And um, one great advantage of that is, you know, I've formed this great collaboration with um, Dr. Richard Hoden, who's a colorectal surgeon at Mass General Hospital. Um, and we've been able to get colon resections of patients undergoing uh, surgery for inflammatory bowel disease. So a depressing statistic is that nearly three quarters um, of Crohn's disease patients, which is a subset of inflammatory bowel disease, actually get their bowel cut out because drugs just can't treat it. So surgeons just literally cut out the inflamed bowel. So we've been getting access to that um, inflamed colon resection and we've actually been extracting the viruses from that tissue. Um, and that's how we've been um, doing our experiments on the on the virum is these uh, fresh surgical specimens, which has been really cool. So I think you know um, its uh, applicability is, is is very high to inflammatory bowel disease because we're directly you know, we're taking viruses directly from inflammatory bowel disease patients and then testing them in the in a dish to see what they do to immune cells. Well, what are you noticing about the immune cells? Are you culturing those as well? looking for epigenetic changes, sequencing them, et cetera? Yeah, so we sort of, we focused a bit on the virum, but as I briefly mentioned, the lab's um, very interested in epigenetics and, and how um, these uh, organisms shape the immune system via epigenetics. Um, and so, you know, what we've been doing is, is taking a subset of uh, immune cells called a macrophage. Um, so we sort of culture pure um, populations of these macrophages, which is sort of like the first line of defence. Um, so we take the viruses from the IBD colon resections um, at NGH, and then we put them on um, a pure population of macrophages in a dish. Um, oh. And then we sort of just look at the responses of those macrophages in terms of um, their gene expression and their epigenome. Uh, expression um, and so um, that's kind of yeah technically how we do it so what do you um, all right so you're taking the macrophages from someone with IBD directly from their colon you're also taking out some of the viruses that are in yeah. that same colon mm -hmm. putting them in a dish and looking at the interplay uh, we actually take macrophages from the peripheral blood just because they're more abundant there so we can take 
uh, monocytes from the peripheral blood um, actually of a healthy individual. We have a healthy donor that gives us blood and then we get the macrophages from that person. And then we just put the viruses coming from a, um, a IBD patient or a non-IBD patient on those macrophages. But yeah, a great experiment would be also to take macrophages from an IBD patient. We actually haven't done that yet. Um, and so, yeah, we put these viruses directly on the cell. And this is sort of what I was talking about in this reductionist approach. Um, so then we can just have a pure population of viruses. So we know that this is an autonomous function of the viruses uh, and how they affect the macrophage. And so we do these sort of kind of high throughput techniques called RNA sequencing, which just looks at all gene expression in that macrophage. Um, and what we found is pretty striking that um, viruses from a healthy gut essentially lead the macrophage to be in this kind of tolerized anti-inflammatory state. So all the genes that would define a macrophage as being those things are triggered by viruses coming from a healthy gut. Um, and then conversely, if we take viruses from an IBD individual, all of the sort of classic inflammatory genes come up, such as tumor necrosis factor, interleukin-6, and sort of many kind of other hallmark inflammatory genes are triggered in macrophages by viruses coming from a um, IBD gut. Um, and what I'd love to do next is what you sort of alluded to, and that is kind of separating bacteriophage from non-bacteriophage or the eukaryotic viruses, but we just don't have the techniques to be to do that right now. Um, so it's just sort of the collective of the um, prokaryotic and the eukaryotic viruses. But we'll get there. We'll be able to do that eventually. Well, okay, so um, these viruses, are they infecting the macrophages? Are they commensal with them? Like, are they... So we think they are able to physically infect the macrophage um, and um, we can see them inside the macrophage. So they definitely get uh, uh, in there. Um, and that's an interesting um, concept, right? Because, you know, if these, they, you're almost like these cells are in constant contact with some of these viruses um, and uh, so, and they are infectious, right? So one question that gets raised is whether the virome is more transferable to household members than the microbiome, right? Because if it's infectious, um, but you know, we really don't have direct evidence for that right now. But what I can tell you is that they, they definitely do infect um, a macrophage and that, and by they, I mean both eukaryotic and prokaryotic viruses uh, can uh, infect a macrophage. The goal now is to identify precisely which ones. I'm sure not all phage are capable of infecting a macrophage. I think just some of them will be. Um, and conversely, um, eukaryotic viruses, I think only some will be capable of infecting. But we have experiments ongoing now to figure out what ones they are. Well, what about at least collecting macrophages from the, uh, you know, from the colon of a resection versus ones in the bloodstream of the same person? Yeah, I mean, it's it just, you just don't get compared. many. That's the problem. Like, you don't get many macrophages out of the colon resection. And, you know, by the time, it's sort of, it's a viability issue too, because by the time we get the resection, like it's come out of the patient, it's got to go to the pathologist. It's probably been sitting on ice four hours by the time it gets to us. Um, the cell viability is probably still okay, but um, it's, just, it's just a practical reason to use peripheral blood. You just get more cells and it's easy to do experiments. But yeah, in a perfect world, we would take macrophages from intestine and um, I'm sure we would get a few thousand to be able to do an experiment. But yeah, if there's not many in the intestine, but yet that's the site of the disease, 
that sounds kind of odd. Uh, what other immune cells could be there? Maybe there's other ones in predominance. I don't know. Uh, no, the mac- macrophage is considered one of the most um, abundant. An ongoing immune response, an ongoing irritation that you'd have lots of macrophages in the colon, for instance, at all times. Or like, yeah, why would you not have a lot? It's weird. You do. I mean, you do, but that's all relative, right? For me to do an experiment, I need millions. I probably can't extract millions readily from the gut. Oh. Um, I, I only just from a technical perspective, like it's kind of hard to, you know, get all the break up all the tissue enough to get all the cells out. Macrophages are super sticky, so it's just more of a technical barrier than anything else. Um, but there okay, are, gotcha. you know, and blood we can just get more and more of it. Whereas resections, you know, we're only getting a tiny bit of the tissue. Oh, are there? Do you believe that there's viruses that are commensal with, you know, the epithelial cells in the in the colon? Yes, and, I do. and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I think that there's viruses that are commensal in a healthy gut that contribute to the health and the homeostasis of both the intestine and the immune, um, and they exist amongst us. Um, there's certain viruses that we know that, you know, nearly 90% of the population harbour those viruses and are completely asymptomatic. So they live happily amongst us, um, uh, much like bacteria do. Well, when you're um, comparing the viruses in the, you know, in the colon cells of someone that has IBD, yeah, do you know if they're different from the viruses that we all harbor? Or um, yeah, so we, yeah, we do. So we sequence the viruses and we know what's there. And so there's changes in bacteriophages uh, in the IBD patients, but you know that's probably a result of changes in bacteria too. Um, and then we know that there's a loss of certain eukaryotic viruses in IBD patients, but there's also some, um, you know, new viruses that emerge. So yeah, there's a, there's a change in viruses and the, and the new viruses is an interesting question, particularly the sort of viruses that infect human cells, because is it the chicken or the egg, right? So the virus is emerging because there's more immune cells infiltrating an inflamed gut and then they, you know, end up being able to infect those cells or is the virus is changing because of that change it's that's but that's the same argument with microbiome right we just don't it's chicken and egg we don't know which is which we just know that they have this intimate relationship well if you compare the viruses that the new the novel ones now that affect the colon cells are they the same viruses that are present in macrophages taken from the blood from that person or are they different or are they no they're different so they see so these viruses are um enteric viruses so they are specific to some are specific to the gut some are we see in the periphery as well um but there are certain uh, certainly viruses that are specific um to the gut and within the gut yes while whilst there's macrophages in the gut and there's macrophages in the periphery or monocytes in the periphery they're actually quite different cells and so um the tropism of a virus uh, you know, is specific to certain cells. And so there's viruses that would probably only infect the macrophages in the gut and not the ones in the Okay, I just didn't know if... Um, do, do, do people know how IBD starts? Do they think maybe it starts with uh, a virus? Uh, yeah, well, so the current theory on inflammatory bowel disease and many of these what we call complex immune diseases that are all on the rise, right? So, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, um, allergies, um, uh, you know, all these sort of complex immune diseases, they are a combination of environmental triggers and genetic susceptibility. So we know that these, vi- these, um, these uh, diseases are actually 
genetic in origin, but genetics is not the cause. So you need to have, um, you know, carrying mutations in certain genes makes you susceptible to these diseases. Um, and it's likely multiple genes. It's not like a one gene um, is a cause. Um, at the moment, there's about 200 um, genes or mutations in genes that associate with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, but you also have to have the environmental trigger. And the environmental trigger um, is something to do with living in Western industrialised societies. So rates of inflammatory bowel disease are extremely high in places like my homeland, Australia, United States, Canada, Europe, et cetera, et cetera and are lower um, in less developed nations. So there's something about the Western lifestyle that's contributing to these diseases. Um, and that can be, obviously, that's diet, um, antibiotic use, um, and, you know, smoking as well, but no more, really. Um, but the, all of this does culminate in changes in the microbiome and likely the virome, as well as the uh, fungus that exists as well. So these environmental triggers... Um, and it's probably diet uh, that ends up altering these microorganisms in the gut in a detrimental way, um, and they become end up being to the immune. Um, so yeah, it's, it's these diseases are a combination of environmental triggers and genetics, um, and whether it's the same environmental trigger for everyone is probably right. It might be different for you know you versus me, but if you have a certain genetic susceptibility, that's perfect storm can you uh, have you been able to longitudinally look at anyone that has ibd and to see you know changes in the virome changes in the you know the bacteria yeah yeah you know, so, been, so the virome is lagging really far behind the microbiome and that's really just through a lack of technology so the microbiome has been really easy to identify um, we've had techniques for a long, long time to be able to quickly and cheaply uh, characterise or categorise the microbiome. Um, the virome is, still remains um, fairly tricky. So it's through these metagenomic sequencing techniques that we can now um, characterise the virome. Um, but as I said earlier, you know, there's trillions of viruses and we really only have about 6,000 of them actually sequenced and named. So even if you sequence everything in the gut, a lot of your sequencing reads don't even align to it. We haven't characterised many. But that aside, um, you know, we are getting better and better at, at categorising the virome. So the microbiome, yeah, there's been a ton of longitudinal studies. So taking people with um, either inflammatory bowel disease or type 1 diabetes and, and taking their microbiome over time. Um, so Rumnick Xavier, who's at Massachusetts General Hospital, has done a lot of this work, really characterising you know, changes in the microbiome um, before the onset of disease and after the onset of disease. But, you know, that they're very, very precious cohorts to be able to get your hands on, right? That's getting permission for people to track you throughout their life um, or track them throughout their life, hopefully before diseases have started. So, yes, the microbiome's been done, but the virome, I'm unaware of any studies that have done that, primarily because the virome is still very much in its infancy and it's super expensive and, and kind of arduous to actually. Um, but again, like everything in science, the technology will catch up and the knowledge. So what, what big questions do you want to answer with your research? Yeah. So for me, it's sort of right now we're at the, the collectively, what do viruses do in the gut? Um, but you know, we're taking a snapshot in time. So as you say, like 
answering questions about what's the turning point in someone's life when the virum becomes damaging, um, when it can start to contribute to disease. Um, and, you know, the ultimate holy grail would be what are the individual viruses that are causing damage in inflammatory bowel disease or even other complex immune diseases such as multiple sclerosis and type 1 diabetes? What are the individual viruses that are the real damage? And how can we try to kind of manipulate those viruses um, to either get rid of them or, you know, replace them uh, with healthy viruses for therapeutic benefits? So that's where, you know, that's sort of the holy grail from my lab's perspective is identifying, you know, the culprits essentially um, within the gut that are the triggers for inflammatory bowel disease and, and making the immune system kind of be hyper-inflammatory and, and damaging in the gut. And then how can we try to manipulate those viruses specifically? You, can you tell with sequencing if uh, there's a complete absence of previous viruses inside uh, you know, some of the gut cells and they're replaced completely by new ones? Or is it more like the, our bacterial microbiome that there's, the players are maybe all there, but their numbers have changed dramatically, but some are now just diminished but still present? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's probably the latter. Um, but, you know, I don't know for sure. So um, is it that one virus that's potentially beneficial goes away completely? Um, or is it just overshadowed by something that's more damaging? Um, I would probably suggest the latter is the case, but I, you know, I just don't have the evidence for that right now. Um, and as sequencing technologies get better and better, like right now, all we can do is take the bulk of the, you know, we take the bulk tissue or the bulk feces and you mash that up and then you take the virus, what we call virus-like particles, and when then we sequence that. But what you'd love to get to is what you just alluded to of taking, um, you know, which cells are being infected by which virus in the gut. And I think there's sort of types of technologies such as single cell RNA sequencing um, will enable us to get to that, all right? So then you can say, well, we see this virus in this cell type and this virus in this cell, cell type in the gut. But just right now, we just, we're not there. Is there a, um, a cell type that appears to preferentially bump into viruses uh, more than others? Like, you know, what if you, what if you took someone's blood, they agreed to, you know, let you analyze their blood, I don't know, once every six months for a number of years, and you looked at the viruses associated with their macrophages, you know, longitudinally. Do you think that would yeah. give you any good insight? Well, so each virus has its own preference, right? So, um, you know, obviously you know about coronavirus now. So this SARS-CoV-2 uses a very specific um, receptor to get into cells, and that's called ACE2. And every virus uses a different entry technique to get into cells, and that's why individual viruses have individual tropisms or they prefer to infect certain cell types based on the ability to enter those cells. Um, and so I have no doubt that the virome in the gut, there'll be X number of viruses that prefer to infect macrophages and there'll be X number of viruses that prefer to infect epithelial cells. And then in the periphery, there'll be X number of viruses that prefer to you know, infect um, circulating um, either monocytes or neutrophils or whatever. So um, I think that, you know, there's many, many of these viruses in the gut and um, I think that we'll just end up having to distinct, you know, sort of decipher which cell types they prefer to. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kate, what's the best way for people to keep up with your work and to find out more? Um, well, we have a um, 
website, um, which is the uh, Jeffrey Lab, so J E F F R E Y Lab dot mgh dot harvard dot edu um and um you know i try to keep that updated as possible um i've done a ted talk in the past about epigenetics and complex immune diseases um and um the kenneth rainin foundation um in san francisco are also a big funders of my lab and they've done um profiles of me online um but yeah our lab website and those profiles are probably the best way to keep up I'm also on Twitter um, at KateJeffrey1. All right, that's great. Okay, Bye. thanks for coming. I, I really appreciate you being here. It's been a good call. All right, thanks so much for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.